Pubcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, we're, we're talking more and more about it. Next week on campus, I'm having a mental health festival uh, for these people that are looking to go into the entertainment business because we, the word mindfulness wasn't really, you know, we didn't really understand mindfulness. Uh, it was strange on the road because with a tour like the Warp Tour, Mayhem, or what I did, but Warp Tour was really a very, it was a city we moved down the road. You know, we had 800 people on the road, so we had to balance it out. Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, my name is Gina Cavalier, and this is the Liberated Healer Podcast. And today I have an old friend and a colleague and somebody I met many, many years ago, Kevin Lyman. He was a creator, founder of the live music production company, The, the Warp Tour where I met him touring with my then ex-husband, Dave King from Flogging Molly. And I think there was a car, they were in a cargo van with about 10 people on the, on the first tour. It was a very interesting thing. And they had about 750,000 people annually that came to the longest running North American festival. And there's always a charitable compartment to his tours. In 2013, they collected 33,000 pounds of food and you know, you just really helped launch a lot of people's career. And thank you, Kevin Lyman, for being here today. Oh, thank you. And my gosh, riding in a cargo van is not the best for any relationship long term. You know, it was like it was bad enough when I'd get my wife to come out on the tour bus once in a while and she'd want to get home as quick as possible. But the cargo van, that one's a, that one's a whole different level. Well, I mean, a lot of the things I wanted to talk to you about today is finding inspiration to pursue those things that are hard and you obviously did that and did that many times and one of the things I did admire extremely about Dave and Flogging Molly was they never gave up and at that time when he started writing in a cargo van I think he was in his 40s so never give up it does you know people put our age onto things like we can't start anything so young and old this you know I I love this conversation and why I was really wanted to talk to you because accomplishing things is hard, you know? Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, I'm now, you know, as a full-time professor at the University of Southern California, it's like the first thing I tell my students is the only thing you run out of is time, you know, in life. But, you know, if you're that person, you, you know, you may fail at some things, but keep trying other things. And, you know, it's 
So right now I'm in that other phase now. I'm now over 60 years old and I'm like, you know, talk about being scared. Putting on music festivals came easy compared to going in front of a class the first time and then easing into being able to work with students, you know, yeah, you know on a full-time professor basis. I mean, talk about, you know, I came right off the road, literally got done at 10 o'clock and I was at HR the next morning uh, and uh, started being, a, and this is my fifth year right now. Wow. It's fabulous. But, you know, it is that kind of thing. And, and I, I really believe right now we're going through such a time where one, I'm seeing younger people that, you know, realizing they, they can't just kind of flow through life. They're going to have to stand for something to engage. So I spend a lot of my time working with them. And then I'm, you know, constantly still, you know, I was at a festival this weekend and I, and you walk backstage and people go, what's your legacy? And I go, just look around. Everyone that's working this festival started on that tour in one of those vans or in a bus or in those hot parking lots. I uh, heard a story about, and this is a, uh, a little bit of kind of goes into what we're talking about, that there was a band that was just following the tour, like in their own car on, on the work tour. And then somebody said, hey, this, and they would like play in the parking lot, the people waiting. And people were saying, hey, there's bands. They're like, yeah, dudes, we're just following you around. And you went up to them and said, you know what? I'll give you some time on a stage. You just have to work the barbecue or something. And, you know, that's that tenacity we're talking about. Just you got to be available. And then we have to have people like you who give people recognize that and give them the opportunity. Yeah, people were always asking me like a lot of times, you know, when you go to a concert, you don't usually see like people out talking to people in the lines coming in or even setting up their own stage or we get people in flatbed trucks driving around. And it was uh, one of those things where it was, uh, you know, people go, how do you feel about that? And I said, I didn't encourage, but I didn't discourage, you know, putting myself in the either learning in life to put yourself in other people's shoes early on. I was like, well, what are they going to do? Stay at home? and be home all summer or go out on this adventure and be part of this adventure. We were having an adventure on this festival, but when you're drawing that many people, they were out there meeting people, selling CDs. And if I give them an opportunity once in a while, you know, it was good. Now, the discouraging part was it was a grinding hard tour and, you know, falling asleep while you're driving and, you know, the, the grind of it could be very hard. It was really a great thing, you know, but walking away from it too is understanding. And I think right now that's a hard thing for a lot of people our age. It's all of a sudden you, you've been doing something for so long and you get recognized for one thing and you step out of that limelight. I think a lot, it's hard on a lot of people and having that transition to transition from that lifestyle that we had, which was, you know, off road, you're, you know, as an artist, you're up on that stage each night. And I think that's why sometimes these artists like tour forever. They don't know what they're going to do afterwards. But I was lucky to figure out, you know, how to, how to maybe, you know, transition into something else, you know? And that's one of the stuff that we talk about because I remember it would be, you know, Dave would be gone for three months and he'd come home and he would go through a lull of kind of missing that stage. And then he would get so used to being home that he loved being home and didn't want to go out again. And it, so it was always like that for us. And so it was a constant up and down wave. It was never like a cool, smooth thing, at least for me. That's why, yeah, I think sometimes being with people that are in your same field is really helpful. But I think it was interesting because there is that transition uh, in relationships from the road lifestyle to the home lifestyle. And, and we went through a lot of, everyone goes through it. And, 
you know, we come off the road and my wife used to be like, you're like a wild animal almost because you're running at such high intensity. I've got my nice, nice lifestyle that I've assumed all control of the household and I've been able to manage to keep it. And, and all of a sudden we jump back in and try to fix everything and do everything so quick. And that was a very disruptive time. And then when my daughter started touring with me, it would be like three of us coming from home at once. And it would be like this overwhelming thing. And I actually learned it from Bono, actually, when I heard that even Bono, you know, is you too. He wasn't allowed to come back into the house right away. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was like a week he would stay at the local pub upstairs in one of the little Airbnb kind of things. And, and at first, uh, his wife would come see him. And then he'd come to the house and have dinner with the family. And then it took a, a week of reacclimation. So that's where I started getting into that too with my wife, try to have her meet me in neutral ground. We would try to meet after a tour, like in the neutral ground where we, she didn't have, so we could ease back into that relationship because those were really the harder, very hard times for us at, in some ways. And you don't think you're like bouncing off the walls. And we're also, you know, navigating that potential lifestyle balance that we, the road, it was acceptable to sit down and you drink a bottle of wine before you had appetizers, you know, and, and wait, you, you can't do that. And all of a sudden it was just trying to ease, assimilate back into society. And back then, actually, a lot of people didn't really talk about mindfulness. So you didn't have these other tools that are becoming a little bit more forefront, which is what I teach, you know, yeah, because I worked in the studios, so it was an intense, you know, production, always production, product, production, production. And I actually started training, learning about these tools to kind of relax and to kind of own my seniority and my confidence and everything, you know, through these techniques. But we didn't really have that back then or we, nobody really talked about it or it seems like, oh, are you a hippie or something like that? So, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking more and more about it. Next week on campus, I'm having a mental health festival. Uh, for these people that are looking to go into the entertainment business, because we, the word mindfulness wasn't really, you know, we didn't really understand mindfulness. Uh, it was strange on the road because with a tour like the Warp Tour, Mayhem or what I did, but Warp Tour was really a very, it was a city we moved down the road. You know, we had 800 people on the road. So we had to balance it out. We'd have people that were playing poker and, and having, you know, playing music and drinking and having fun. But then I had to balance that and we brought, had yoga. Uh, there was yoga classes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Especially towards the end, you know, the last five, 10 years of it, we started having yoga at night. Uh, there was mindfulness classes. There was actually some people that were maybe religious had a Bible study class once a week. Oh. Uh, the only time I thought it was really, uh, really got weird when they were all running around with brooms. And I go, what is everyone doing? They're playing that game Quidditch, like the Harry Potter <laughs> game. I go, now that's not real. I know a punk rock tour playing Quidditch backstage. That was a little bit. Maybe a lot, but we had a great time. You know, we learned how to balance it out. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing that right now in life because, you know, when I start, when I was working in the business and I was working 320 nights a year and, and around the music scene, I really wish I had the skill set that I have now to help people through their addiction issues. Uh, we lost a lot of people to, you know, Brad Knoll from Subline was a good friend of mine, Hillel from the Chili Peppers, these people, but I didn't have that tool set. So, I developed that tool set, you know, and, and joining the board of music cares uh, that helps musicians in need. I kind of learned that tool set and then started identifying and need, oh, wow, we should bring a counselor out on the road with us because they were trained in identifying it. I had the street knowledge of identifying a person maybe in need and we could intervene kind of in a, 
in a nice way and as a peer later on. And I think we actually helped some real people, maybe got them some counseling, maybe got them into many people into rehab that needed to go that didn't recognize it. And later now I'm in this point where I was at the festival the other day and uh, there's a lot of people our age that are still working. And I'm I'm like, how do you have to start preparing to transition out of this lifestyle? Yeah. Telling them, you know, developing other interests, slowing down, letting some things going, passing it on to the new generation of people out there. Uh, Because I see so many people in our industry dying in their 60s, dying at a younger age uh, because they don't know how to moderate, you know, just in anything. It just, you know, the work, the hours they work, uh, you know, we used to work 16 hours a day. Didn't really matter. It was just, we did what we needed to get done. And now it comes down to, I'm learning more that, you know, your body starts changing and it doesn't heal as quick and you don't recover as quickly. And it, it's a cumulative effect. And I was trying to describe that to someone backstage. I said, you know, I'm, I, I see, think your, your tank is getting below that empty level where it can't be refilled. Well, I love that you have that because you have the experience and that now you're also in this, you can have that conversation because, you know, an 18 year old can't have that conversation with a 60 year old, you know? But the thing is, is that what I have found is find that one little thing that you are so excited about. So for me, it was wellness and spirituality and healing, right? So yeah, it took a lot of time to set up my podcast or, you know, to build this world and, and there's some things that fell off that I started that I don't do anymore. But what you do is if you take that one little baby step towards the thing that really excites you. So for example, maybe somebody you're talking to, it's like, learn, why don't you think about like, write down the things you love doing, teaching other people's how to play guitar or speaking about a passion that you have or, you know. And you never want to say anything good came out of a pandemic, but you know, it's a pandemic and it was really tough. But for a lot of the world I was in, it allowed us to slow down and, and, and reprise. When you're, when you're caught up in the, in the, the hamster wheel of this business, uh, you don't even realize what's going on. And then all of a sudden we went from everyone running, running, running to really basically 92% unemployment within a matter of a week, you know, and, and everyone, you know, it's Friday the 13th, 2020, May, May 13th, 2020 was the day that it all came crashing down. It started, started getting, but it came to a stop. Yeah. And then you saw a lot of people kind of go, wait a second, you know, I want to reprioritize. So for myself, I don't want to ever say like, it, it would be very selfish, but to be selfish for a moment, it allowed me to reprioritize. And for me, that's focusing on these students and teaching, uh, focusing on, we're helping in the mental health field, uh, doing my nonprofit work, but at the same time, challenging myself to do new things. You know, I'm sitting here looking at a contract right now for a, a television show that I'm going to be part, I was asked to maybe be part of. I don't go shopping it, but you put yourself out there and you never know. So, you know, I always laughed at, you know, you can, you can re- resurrect your career at 61. No, no problem. Just, you just got to throw it out there. And that learned early that about failure, we're all going to fail and that's okay. And telling my students is the hardest part because they've all been taught to test. Our school system doesn't allow people to fail. So I have the hardest discussions with my students the first week of school. I, I teach five classes, but in every time I first meet them, I say, I think you all know, how, you know, all know how to learn. You've learned how to get to 
be in this room and sitting in this chair. And that's through testing, through extra. But how many of you know how to think? And I think as a and I think we've forgotten as a society how to think. Uh, we're not really thinking right now. And it, that's what kind of is stressful to me. Society is not thinking. We're allowing so many influences from so many different ways to, to process that we're not really thinking through what's really going on out there and how, you know, and then if you really, it starts overwhelming you. So I tell them, let's just focus and try to make our own world better. Whatever our, as far as our fingertips, you know? So if that means doing a food drive for our local community around our school, okay, we're going to change it. And if everyone did a little something each day to just make their neighborhood a little better, I think things would come around. But we also have to learn to talk right now. And people just won't have a talk. We tend to be in this yelling phase where everyone's, everything's on edge. Everyone's on edge, which is causing, we really have to address this because the report came out this week that 70% of, of young people are suffering some sort of mental, you know, anxiety, depression. That's a lot of people. And, and they say the ones who suffered most during this time were kindergartners. Wow. We're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have to get it together, basically. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I'm so passionate about this and doing it without judgment and just constantly offering up different people and opportunities and content and different healing modalities because one thing might resonate with someone that doesn't resonate with for someone else. That's That number is really staggering. I'm writing a book right now. It's about, I'm writing from the spiritual side of suicide and also from the people that are left behind and uh, healing and information and how to get awareness with the doctor, Dr. Amelia Kelly, and she's going to write the trauma response to the book. But it's literally just because I, you know, I want to put out content out there that's more relative to, you know, just not, it's just not this or that. It's, there's a lot of in between and there's not a lot of in between information out there. So, um, and so you created a lot of these things and you know, the, that's not what is the hard part is getting it started. So you, if you have like an idea for it, like, how'd you get in, into the opioid stuff? Was that obviously through the, you know, we lost people like Brad Knoll, you know, to, you know, early on. And I started hearing about fentanyl about five years ago, five, six years ago, I, I started learning about it and then Narcan. And, uh, we wanted to try to educate our fans and it's not, you can't, you can't yell at them. You have to educate them. I always found like when sometimes I'd work those, those benefit shows, you know, where people are on stage and I said, well, through education, maybe we can make a difference. We're going all the way back to working with the truth campaign, the, the, uh, smoking anti-smoking campaign that we worked with for so many years and sitting in the offices one time and hearing that through, they said through the work that you did, Kevin, you know, through the exposure to our program through their research and everything, you, you had a direct impact in saving 220,000 people, their lives over time. And this was over many, many years. And this is what I was hearing about that. So I had the opportunity to work with a technology forward group using a thing called gamification. Everyone likes to play games. We, you know, we play games when we go to grocery stores, the lot, whatever we're doing, we're playing, like we react to games. So how can we create a game to educate people about opioids? So through technology, we had a, a thing uh, that where people would learn on an app 
the basics of what an opioid is, what, a, what an overdose is, what the Good Samaritan laws. And people would do this test based through our app and they would earn rewards at our concerts. So, oh. so at the, if you had completed the whole program, you would get an acoustics set that no one else would get backstage, you know, at, at the show. So we, we targeted a couple younger bands, Water Parks, and then We the Kings that would play a little for an older crowd. And we ended up getting about 25,000 people to complete that app throughout a summer. And they got backstage shows from these artists. And they, it was more of a game. And people go, well, and of course, it, you know, opioids are not a game, but we have to figure out what resonates with people. You know, we, we have to resonate, you know, understand what resonates with your audience. And, and they really reacted to that. And uh, I think we're right now, you know, when, when I, I, something always stuck with me. The founders of Narcan were sitting in our backyard one day and we were having a discussion and they literally told me that in five years, and we're almost five years to the date, there would be no more drugs without fentanyl. Fentanyl would be in everything. Okay. And, you know, we're seeing it here. I mean, we had a lot of, we had quite a few overdoses in high schools last week in, in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. So, you know, and sadly, when, a certain guy became president uh, in 2017, and he made uh, Kellyanne Conway in charge of his uh, addiction program. I knew that we wouldn't get anything done for four years, and we did. We we went back years backwards, and, and through that, then the pandemic hit, and the isolation, the depression, and we're in a really that's in a rough spot. But I think our artists are starting to speak out about it. Wow. Uh, I always, some people say that musicians should stay out of things, but no, they need to amplify their voices even more. Yeah. And through some of these tragedies that we've had, like Taylor Hawkins and some of these things going on, I'm, I think artists are more than willing to speak about their mental conditions, their past addictions, how to, uh, their friends who have been influenced, you know, been addicted and maybe they should have spoken up sooner. So I think maybe, you know, we are a, Young people are speaking up. They're tired. They're tired. Uh, they're, they, they, but they're smart. We have a very smart society and actually using these technologies that have been twisted to take advantage of people that didn't grow up with technology. Um, you know, we grew up in a time like, you know, I talked to my father, he was 93 now. He's just doing good. But he doesn't understand that the news is an opinion now versus the truth. He grew up with Walter Cronkite and limited resources for news and a small, we all determined our opinions with, with narrower focus. And he doesn't understand that, but young people realize you have to look at social media. You have to look at the news. You have to look at it with a skeptical eye now Yeah, and you have to go to five places to arrive at the true truth versus living in an echo chamber. So what are just some of the things about fentanyl that, I mean, do you know any of this, uh, any of the science behind it or the, inf I mean, why is it so addictive? I mean, you might, must've studied a little bit. 20% of the people can be, it, it kicks, you can become addicted using it the first time. 20% of the people it starts to affect. It's not a 30 day rehab program. It's, it's a full lifetime challenge. But to, to retrain the brain from everything I've learned, and, and I'm, I don't, it's 10 to 12 months to come down from. So, so when we're putting artists back on the road, 
they go through a 30 days rehab, Mac Miller and these people, then they're not prepared, ready to go back on the road after this. Uh, fentanyl can change the brain chemistry very, very quickly. And, and uh, it's not something you can do in a 30 day rehab to get off of. And that's just, you know, yeah, like you said, it's life changing, period. Yeah. So, you know, I think our we have a responsibility as in our industry. I think, you know, hate to say it, but artists are a commodity and people realize that, you know, for they when one artist, the livelihoods of so many people are directly related to them. We have to keep our crews, our, our we have to keep everyone healthy. But yeah. No, they can't, you can't just say, oh, we're going to be back on tour in 30 days. If you find out that someone is addicted, they, they're going to need more time. And where do you, you know, the facilities that are going to be able, that's expensive, you know? So there's just this a whole big, you know, overwhelming, you know, pain point. It, it, it is, you know, we're a microcosmic society and the, it's under, but we have abilities to, to raise funds to help people. Music Cares was a great plat, you know, platform for me. Uh, we donated 25 cents of every ticket I sold on all our fest to Music Cares. I wish we had that as an industry-wide program, that 25 cents off of every ticket went into a fund to yeah. help these people. And, uh, you know, the industry, you know, that yeah. we will listen a little more, but, but they get caught up. You know, you were part of that, you know, you were, you were there and everything's moving so fast. There's albums coming out, there's tours that sometimes it's slowed down and someone just has to say, hey, wait, let's let's see what we can do on this tour to make things better. Yeah, because, you know, and also like we're, in a, we're with creative people that, you know, that's always like a little bit of a different challenge. <laughs> so what kind of classes are you teaching at, at the college? Well, I teach, you know, I teach a mar branding and marketing. I teach a festival design and management class. I teach a touring class or a venue management class. But the class I'm really excited about is this week, we're doing a, our mental health festival on campus. And I teamed up with Talinda Bennington, uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park's wife. Unfortunately, Chester succumbed to uh, suicide. And I help, she comes on campus and helps me organize this event. It's called the 320 Festival. Uh, we also did it online before. So we'll be doing that coming up on World Mental Health Day. And then, uh, you know, I, I, that's really, a, it's kind of, and I've been pushing for a class that all freshmen would take is called philanthropic thought and entertainment and where they would go in. Cause I say, if you embed doing good into your business model, when you have nothing, it will grow with you. Yeah. You know, it's always things like, oh, we have to be making a lot of money to make a difference. Well, that's great. You can, you, a lot of money usually means you buy the front row table at, at a charity dinner, but yeah. if you look at everything you do and if you're doing a basement show, if you're doing something in, and like we used to do with the canned foods, bring three cans of food and that would go to the local food bank. So a lot of my students do things now and they'll have concerts where you donate canned food at the front door. Uh, just little things you can embed into your DNA that will grow with you. And that's what I felt I did all. And it just kind of grew. And all of a sudden, next thing you're doing, you're, you're donating large chunks of money or you're doing blood drives that we had the largest international blood drive tied around my tours. And we didn't take blood out the shows. We... We did it prior to the shows, but you know, you know, all these little things, I think sadly, we're, I was hoping coming out of the pandemic, people would do more, you know, more of this, but a lot of people just rushed back out on the road, started doing things. But I know that some of the artists are starting to take it into their own hands. And uh, what I'm trying to do now is create very easy programs with other people. So artists can just plug it in so that we do most of the work in the back end, 
but they can do it while they're out on tour or having an event or an album cycle or whatever they're working on. Well, we certainly have a lot of resources for you. We have healers and med- you know, meditation teachers around the world. So always let us know what you need and we're happy to help you. So is actually one of the reasons why I kind of started this uh, ideation of, for this book that I'm writing because of these things that, you know, I wanted to provide some more information and alternative opportunities. So, you know, thank you so much. Is there, we, we need to go out on that you want to kind of messaging, you know, the one thing I wanted to hit on a little bit more with you, uh, we, we mentioned it early on was about that. How do you, when, when you don't know where to go, how do you build something? You know, how do you get that inspiration to keep on going when everybody cut, keep, feels like it's negative or they're judging you or, you know, how do you, how do you be an entrepreneur? How do you create businesses and opportunities? Like, how do you get that going? Cause that's something that a lot of people are a little bit afraid of or. Well, I think one, we're, 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 it's like my students, they're, they're bred not to fail. Like you can't fail. You can't fail. You got to keep failure is part of it. If you learn from failure and we're trying, you know, it's okay if you fail, as long as you keep learning to move forward Two. It came from an old friend that was out on tour with me, Ice T, once when we were riding around on that tour bus. And he said, You have to start to listen to your gut. And it's very simple, but it, what's inside you can drive you, you know? And then you're that, it drives you. And then I fail. I fail a lot in certain things. But, you know, it's like, okay, take that failure and just take a step back and never be in such a rush. And, I, and for me, it was also, it was never about, primarily making money uh always comes after if you are set up right yeah it'll it, it came i've done better than any i could have ever expected based on where my trajectory was going because early on i realized i was terminally unemployable basically uh and i was going to have to make it myself i think sometimes recognizing that that i had to make it myself kept me going but uh you know I, anytime i've done anything strictly for the money um it's never really been my best or most fulfilling projects. Uh, you just do things, uh, you know. I, you may know, when someone said, "Oh, you could potentially do this thing." Oh yeah, I'll do it. Well, now I'm looking at a 12-page contract that I have to go through right here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and yeah, I just want to do it, and I, I didn't even ask what I was going to be paid for. It just sounds like a challenge. And anytime you can keep challenging yourself, just incrementally, on a daily basis, it, it's a good thing, you know. For me this week, it's a challenge though. It's very simple. Like you came to some of those barbecues backstage at Warp Tour, I'm sure. And they were, we'd pop them up in the middle of, you know, they'd be huge. But I have to do this for all the alumni, faculty, and parents and students. And it's been keeping me up at night. Like I haven't, I haven't had something keeping me up in ages. And it's all because I have to do this. And it's just a challenge because I really want to think through it properly, you know, but, and then, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a challenging time, but it's a, it's a change. It's a time of transformation. And I think if we can make it through this really rough time, I think we're going to come out at a better place. Well, I've heard, you know, I, I've known you personally and always felt, even when I would run into you, you were always very kind and warm and, and, you know, engaging. And I know that you've done that for so many other people. And sometimes just do that, you know what I mean? Being approachable and being willing, like you said, to listen and to, just kind of, and you know, open your ears and be respectful, you know, and just 
open with the kindness and compassion, you know, and let people come to you. And I always appreciated that with you. I I put out a little email to some people about like, what are some Kevin Lyman stories? And I did hear a bunch of, everything was just so amazing how you would teach them little things, you know, to and inspire them to keep going. So, you know, you've done that for so many people and you keep doing that and everything had a charitable, charitable end to it, like the food drives and the opioids, now the fentanyl and the mental health. So we just champion anybody who is continually putting themselves out there. So I wanted to just send you a big hug and a blessing and thank you for your time today because it means the world to me. And and if I get up there in my our van now that I've turned in the tour bus for a Sprinter van, you know, uh, we'll come up and see you up in that uh, part of the woods. Yep, we're in Montana. I'm writing the book, but I'll be in LA often and I'd be happy to help you at the college or anything. Let me know when you're down here. Thank you so much. All right, Gina. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes.